everybody, this is Lori and I am the founder and CEO of Inclusivity, which is a company devoted to kindness, justice and sustainable living. And I'm also the author of a new book, You Can Save the World. In fact, you're the only one who can, which is full of tips on sustainability. And this is our podcast and it's called Inclusive Talk Sustainability. And it's a podcast all about creativity and sustainable living and kindness and uh, justice. So every week we have a new guest on the podcast. And this week we are really fortunate to have Kara, who I met because we, I was doing some work and reached out to her the people she works for and ended up having many, many, many email exchanges and just uh, really appreciated her help and thought it would be fun to have her on the podcast. So Kara, thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we are really glad to have you. So <laughs> I met you because you actually work um, for a celebrity. We're not going to say who, but you that's your job. And I wanted to ask you how you got to that job because I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. So I, this probably goes all the way back to college. In college, I was a theater major. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to work in the realm of entertainment, just not exactly sure what. I directed, I stage managed. Uh, once I graduated, I actually ended up moving to Florida for a year and I worked for the Walt Disney Company there. And after about a year, I did a couple of internships. I knew if, you know, if I want to work in entertainment, I need to go out to Los Angeles. So I made the move about just, just under four years ago. And got out here and started diving into the film industry. So I worked on sets a lot. I was a production assistant, production coordinator, craft services, all sorts of odd jobs that I could find. And ultimately, that led me to working at uh, a talent agency. I worked at Creative Artist Agency. It's uh, the top talent agency in the world at the moment. And I worked there for a year and got exposed to all sorts of like high-profile clients and really, really great opportunities. And while there... A job came across my desk to work for a celebrity. He, they needed an executive assistant. I interviewed. We really hit it off. And I have been working for them ever since. So you have this creative background as a theater major. And um, how do you now view that, your use of that creativity? So what are you doing now that you feel really kind of fills that need? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, my goal is to end up in a creative role within entertainment. When you get out here, you learn that it's a lot, you know, it's that who do you know, who you know. Um, and if I, you know, I came out here, I didn't have any industry connections. So I've kind of had to work my way from the ground up, which is why I've ended up at agencies and things like that. And as an assistant is really how you get that exposure to all these different folks. But while I'm doing that path to eventually lead me to a creative role, I, you know, I still write. I have a lot of friends that are also in entertainment. We work on projects together, you know, co-write web series. You know, we have done a few podcasts ourselves, you know, just whatever we can really find. It's definitely been challenging during this pandemic time to like, how do you keep that creative energy going when so much of what our work is, is like working in person together. So it's definitely been a challenge, a lot more internal, internalizing and writing, I'd say it's been my main creative outlet. What do you write? What do you enjoy writing? Um, I write screenplays. Okay. And yeah, so mostly like screenplays and like like a web series I've worked on, but most of my ideas are very like like very. I have a I have a, like a notebook full of like outlines and not a book full of finished projects. It's a lot of 
idea, 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 and like playing with those. And I do a lot of like experimental work too. So I always like to turn things on its head and like flip it around and see what we can do. So have you done plays? I have, yes. Yes, I uh, produced and directed uh, two of my own works when I was in college with a student-run theater organization. Uh, that project was, um, the first one I had a script prepared for me that I edited and played with. And then the second one, we took a lot of different works and put them together. And with my co-writer, like wrote it that way. So it was a lot of like taking poems or personal essays, or I used letters that were sent to people and like turned that into a script. And that was a really fun project. That's an interesting, an yeah. interesting creative way to look at things. So when you were younger, younger than college, did you have a dream to be to be an actor? Did you always write? How, what, where, where was that creativity when you were younger? So, I mean, I've definitely been like a creative soul my whole life. I danced all growing up. Dancing was my, my first introduction to like the stage, mm -hmm. but even, you know, I can remember being little, I, I wrote songs with my friends. I would write like little plays in my journal, um, put on shows, like anything that like I, where I could get in front of people and perform. I did that a lot. Um, I've also done stand-up comedy. I've acted. So I've done all sorts of things, the jack of all trades, if you will. And when, do you kind of remember the very first time that you were on stage or that you, do you remember that first experience of real creativity? Well, I can say that I can remember the first time being on stage. I was like, I think it was like maybe third grade or something like that. And it was like a little like Christmas play. Right. And I remember going up there and like, just, I think I fell in love with it. Then I was just like, I loved that energy of like a crowd and things like that. Like always thought, you know, maybe I'd be scared, but like, that was like definitely my first time performing that like, I have a very vivid memory of. Um, and then I remember like, I mean, even just like being like a young kid and like playing with my imagination and like coming up with these like very thorough storylines. Right for me and my friends to play and then we'd, we'd put it together and then we'd perform it for our parents and things like that. So. <laughs> Wonderful. So Kara, do you picture yourself now more behind the scenes, more with the writing, or do you imagine that you'll also get back into acting or something more in front of the camera again? I think a lot of it'll probably be behind the scenes. My, what I've loved the most, especially in my adult life is directing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really like that fuels that creative energy for me. It also allows me to be in that helper role. Mm -hmm. um, I've always enjoyed helping people and like guiding. So it's kind of like a teaching role plus being creative and like very collaborative and like the finished product for when I see that like gives brings me the most joy as like really having that creative control and seeing something that you work so hard on like come to fruition. So you said something earlier that I, I didn't know and I just want to confirm and learn a little bit more about it you said that a lot of times when people go out to Hollywood if you want to be in the business in some way you start out working for agencies you start out um, being assistants to celebrities and is that a pretty common a pretty common path yeah and I mean of course I like, know two paths are going to be the same so many people are going to have very different journeys but I mean a lot of like the funnel into it is doing the, like, I always call like working for a, like a big talent agency. It's kind of like graduate school. If you're trying to get in, like, especially if you want to work at a studio as like an executive or any of those, and you trace them back. So many of those people started as assistants somewhere, whether it was an, at an agency or they were an assistant at the studio to like a VP or something like that. But yeah, assistant 
is a really big funnel for people. And the same, so if you're going, like there's the production side, like on set, yeah. and then there's the side that's more like, you know, the suits or the producers and the people that are working in the offices at the studio. So that's, you're going to be executive assistant. If you're working on set, you're going to start as a production assistant, most likely build into a coordinator, kind of really find your niche. Maybe it's the art department, maybe, you know, maybe it's behind the camera DP, but like, you're going to start in those assistant roles. It's kind of like, there's like definitely a pay your dues type vibe in Hollywood. Like they really expect you to like come out here. You work really hard. You work long hours. It's not great money, but you just kind of like suffer through it so that you make those connections. You build that experience. It's just kind of the way it's been for a long time. So it stays that way. And when you got out there, was there anything that was sort of a, the biggest surprise or the biggest thing that you didn't know before you went? Anything? That you I mean, I would, yeah, I would say definitely like working at a talent agency. Like I never saw that in my career path. Mm -hmm. I never really thought, you know, and then after talking to so many people and saying, yeah, like that's, you know, that's really the way you're going to get these jobs at studios and networks and stuff. They're looking for that agency experience on your resume. And I was like, well, you know, that's wild. I never expected that. But so that was a big surprise to me for sure. And that really, honestly, how many different roles there are within film and television, like before moving to Hollywood, you know, you think you, you have an idea, you know, there's the director, there's the people that work on it. There's, you know, the people that put it together. But like, I really didn't have a full understanding of just how many different opportunities there are within this industry. And so being a personal assistant, I, I think that none of us have a very good idea of what that is. We've seen it a few times in movies, right? Yeah. So um, is it, is it long hours? Is it, um, is it, I'm, I'm guessing you use your creativity all the time in problem solving and sort of figuring mm -hmm. out how to manage things, but I'd like to hear more about that job. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a lot of creative, creative thinking, a lot of problem solving, you know, it's, it can be long hours depend, you know, it's going to be different for each person and whoever you're working for. And you're going to have, you know, really great bosses and you're going to have not so great bosses sometimes. I mean, some of those, those stereotypes come from places of truth at times, but it's, yeah. So a lot of like, you know, especially in the personal assistant role, it's, you really do become kind of part of the family. Yeah. So you become really close with your boss and their family. They come to you for the most important things going on in their life, you know, like whether it's, you know, anything from like doctor's appointments to their business, they're, they're trusting you with like really, you know, crucial information. So you do become this first line of defense for them as well. So it's a, it's a really, it's a challenging job for sure. Like it, you know, you don't want to mess up. You're very, you know, like people get on edge, even, even the nicest of people, like when, you know, times are stressful, yep. like you've got to be right there. You've got to be calm, cool, and collected, even if things are like going off all haywire. So it sounds like a job that you have as a really important, uh, an important part of your skill set would be being organized and remaining calm and things like that. Definitely. A lot of it is, it's very organized and a lot of like taking initiative and like looking for problems before they exist. Um, especially people like really like high profile celebrities, you know, that are very established in their careers. They've been doing this for so long. They're so used to having somebody basically take care of everything in their life day to day. Sure. that they they've kind of turned off that thinking to ask you to do something because they're just so used to somebody already knowing that it needs to be done so you've really got to pay close attention and look for those opportunities what an interesting 
that's just an interesting way of life for both you it and is. for the celebrity that it you definitely are. is. I think it's a, it's a very different world from probably your life when you were in, did you say you were in Florida? Florida? Yeah. Yeah. So probably your life in Florida was quite different from your life now. It is. And it's funny. Cause like you definitely get exposed to like, I mean, yeah, when you are exposed to somebody of that, like, you know, that wealth and stature, you're just like, their problems are so different than your problems or the problems of anyone, you know, right. And that's just like the way that like money is talked about and the way that these, I, you know, like it's just such a different world to get thrown into. And it's funny. Cause I, I feel like I've been um, desensitized sometimes to like prices and money. Cause like somebody will like say something I'm like, Oh, like, especially coming from an agency too, when you're seeing like these giant deals go out right. and like these really high numbers, all of a sudden you're just like, Oh wow. Like my understanding of money is like right out the door. Like, <laughs> Well, I, that's an interesting, it kind of segues into another piece of the conversation that I wanted to have because our podcast is about sustainability, as you know, and I, and mm -hmm. I think um, it's also about creativity and all sorts of other things, but I always like to make sure we talk a bit about sustainability and I think economic sustainability, you know, that sort of equity and all of that is such a big thing. And I, I wonder if it is trickier because when you have a lot of money, it just shifts things for you. So I wonder if that makes the conversation harder. I think it becomes more, yeah, not maybe harder, more interesting because once you are, I think, living at that level, because all of a sudden you probably, a lot of people too, a lot of celebrities go from one day being an average person to then right. the next day having this like surplus of wealth and then you're, everything changes all of a sudden. Like you don't see money the same way. People don't talk to you about money the same way. Um, and so I think it takes a lot of self-awareness and a lot of effort to really try to maintain kind of that sustainability and that economic balance and really want to be a part of that kind of solution, you know? Yeah, I think that that's true. So talking about sustainability for you, um, what, what would you say is when you think that word, what does it mean to you? Uh, when I think sustainability, I think, you know, definitely our planet and how we're, how can we make it last longer? How are we taking care of it? How are we protecting ourselves and future generations? And all of the energy that we have, like how can we use it more efficiently? So that's what first comes to my mind is definitely our planet and the world. And that goes, yeah, down to like, yeah, of course, like economics and stuff and these big wealth divides, like how do we create a more sustainable way of living for people of all economic and social backgrounds and things like that. Yeah. And I think what's really exciting, Kara, is that I think people are starting to really think about that and really talk about that piece of it, because I think it's not enough to say we're going to take steps to protect the environment. That's incredibly important, but it's not enough because if we keep yeah. this continued and increasing disparity between wealth and poverty and between, you know, the, even the, the air in wealthy areas tends to be better than the yeah. air. In impoverished areas, the food supply is better, the water is better. So I think that all of those things become this big package. And the good thing from my perspective, um, and I, I'll ask you if you agree, but my perspective is we can do something about this. We actually have yeah. the power. We haven't, we don't have a lot of time, but we have enough time. You know, people are, scientists are saying we have until about 2050 to really turn this around. And yeah. so that gives us a little bit of time. We need to start today though, because that's not very far from now. Right, no, it's super soon. Yeah, and I mean, we can just look at what's happened in the last week with yeah. these snowstorms and like what's going on in Texas. And I mean, you can really see, one, I mean, the climate change is just 
right there in our faces, but definitely that economic divide of those who are really suffering without having power and energy and those who are getting help. Like, I mean, we look at some people were able to hop on a plane and leave. Yeah. That's not an option for most people. So yeah, it's really, really important to try to make those changes. And we really hope that moments like this will be a wake up call for the people that don't have not been as convinced that this is a big problem because it is. And I think that there's so many like naysayers out there that have, you know, convinced such a large chunk of the public to like, kind of put like, it's, it's important, but not really, you know, that yeah. how do we like change that narrative to make it something that people want to be a part of and are like, you know, like it's exciting. It's, and you know, we can do this instead of it being, have this negative stigma around it. I love that you said that because really our focus right now is on exactly that, that um, we're really working on getting people to make small changes in their own lives. But the reason we're doing that is not because I believe that if I stop throwing away containers, that changes everything in the world is saved. But what I do believe is if I start doing that, then I start thinking about it more. I start feeling more strongly about it. I start going to marches. I start contacting companies that, that I like and encouraging yeah. them to do better because it becomes my problem. And I think that if all of us think of this as something we can fix, then we will fix it. But exactly, it, it's yeah. all of us believing that we can and that it's important. And there are so many little tiny things we can do to make a difference. And I think that's um, just crucial. Right. And it's definitely, it's a, it's a human issue. It's not a political issue. Like, and how we need to shift that narrative as well to just like, like we're doing that. Yeah. You do it for yourself. You do it for everyone around you. But like, we, we have that ability and like to do, to make this change. But yeah, like you said, we've got to start now. The time, the time is now. So for you, when you look at your life, what's one thing that you say, yeah, I do this because it's better for the environment or it's better for um, the people around me. What's just one thing that you regularly do that just for that? Yeah, I would say one of my biggest things is thinking about like, like fuel and like my cars and like would do having when we have to go somewhere are we like carpooling are we making the most efficient use of that getting cars that have higher you know prioritizing a higher gas mileage car over a luxury vehicle you know like because at the end of the day like that's that's a big you know that's what's more important like you know we want I don't need a fast car that doesn't really do me any good like I need a car that's going to get me to where I need to go and it's going to make the you know be as fuel efficient as possible yep well, that is a wonderful thing. Thank you for doing that. Um, I wanted to also ask you about what, so do you have like a timeline? So I'm switching gears completely, but do yeah. you have sort of a timeline as far as what your plans are? Just like in general? And yeah, like, just in general. If you're feeling like you want to get more into directing and writing and want to keep doing that, is that something that's a gradual thing that you work on? you know, as a sideline until something happens or how does that work for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I like, you know, I'll be honest that it can be very difficult, especially in times like these, when you are, these assistant roles can be very, you know, demanding, very draining at times and burnout's like a real, it's a, it's really easy to fall into. So it's very important, just like it's important, like when it comes to sustainability, your own creativity is to make time for that. Yeah. And it, and it might even feel like a chore at first, but you'll realize that like, once you're doing it again, like your well-being is just your mental health is like so much better. So it's really trying to make sure you carve out that time to do that. And as of lately, I have decided that I'm going to definitely shift more into pushing into what I want my career to be. The, I've enjoyed the assistant roles 
they've helped me build a network, but it's definitely time for me to really start to refocus on myself and what I want to do with my career um, to start living for me a little bit. And even if that doesn't necessarily look like what I always thought it would be, like maybe it's not, you know, the director of a feature film, maybe it's something smaller scale, maybe it's going back to theater, but prioritizing that over this, this path, because it's so easy too once you get into this world of film and television to like kind of have like want to climb the corporate ladder like all of a sudden now I'm in this type of well I want to get to the top and I was like well that's never really what I wanted to do why is that what I want to do now so remember like you always have to stay true to who you are why why you know always come back to like why did I start this journey to begin with why was this important and if you can always keep those goals close you'll you'll be fine and you'll succeed but it's very easy to get distracted along the way I love that. One of the questions I was going to ask you in a little while is what advice would you have for other people who are interested in, in sort of this path? And you literally just gave that. (laughs) That was really beautiful. So stay true to yourself and try to keep your goals in mind um, as you move forward. So for you, Kara, is there a topic that you're most likely to write about or do you kind of write about a whole host of different things? How, and how do you decide what to write about? A lot of mine are uh, female-focused stories, women's stories, and I social issues. I definitely want to help give voice to marginalized groups. That's really important to me to tell the stories that we haven't seen as much because film and television and the media in general has a huge responsibility that we don't always think about because so much of what we see on screen affects how we live our lives, how we view things. You know. Um, Gina Davis has a really great gender study institute where they do a lot of this work, especially in children's programming. You know, when I was little, like you think back to like what characters were, you know, what were the female characters doing on screen when you were little? Um, And for the most of you know, they're the mothers in the TV shows, they're your teachers, they're the, you know, like, and so these are the, these are what we're teaching our kids that these are what the options are for women. So imagine, you know, all that you see them as doctors and like, that's not abnormal or astronauts and all of these different, especially roles in STEM, like we don't see a lot of female characters in STEM. And there's a really interesting study. It's the, um, what's the, the X-Files girl? What's the oh, main character? Jillian, Jillian Anderson? Yeah, but what's her character on the show? Oh, it's, um, um, Scully? No, Scully's Scully. Scully, yes, Scully. Oh, no, it Scully? Scully. Yeah, so it's the Scully effect. They did um, a study where they interviewed a bunch of people, a bunch of women that work in STEM now and ask them, you know, like, what, why did you get into this? What inspired you to do this? And it was like, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was somewhere well over like 70% of those said because they watched X-Files and they saw Scully succeed in a role like that. So that just shows you how powerful these moments can be or the increase of archery for little girls. Like all of a sudden that like people signing up for archery classes, like increased by a crazy percentage after the Hunger Games came out. Cause now we saw and brave brave and hunger games came out around the same time and all of a sudden girls saw that oh that looks great that would be so fun as opposed to like that's something that they only saw boys do and really can do that and then break down all sorts of like the gender barriers and all of these social norms and really really have a positive impact effect on the world this is so important my just an interesting sort of uh similar situation that I can't believe I talked to my daughter last night who is a graduate student and also teaches teaches out in college um, at the University of Washington and she is supposed to be teaching a class on 
bias and prejudice. And she taught the class previously, and one of the TAs was a woman of color. And students literally said to her, I didn't think I could go into academics until this class. I can tell I saw this person. And she's now um, basically taken the stand that if they don't have a person of color involved in this class, she doesn't think it should be taught. She only thinks it should be taught when there's representation because she said, I was blown away by the incredible impact that had and how we need to be paying attention to that. Like that, that has to be. And I think you're, yeah. you know, you're talking about television and, and film where everyone is watching. And if there are no role models for you, how can you see yourself there? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's so, I was, you know, because I was talking to a friend, um, I think it, it's the movie on Netflix that came out this year with Issa Rae and Camille. I think it's called like Lovebirds or something like that, but it's a rom-com with the two of them. It's kind of like a, a like a action rom-com. Sure. But um, my friend was talking about it and she was like, she was like, I was just so excited to see that because with Issa Rae being in that role, she was just a woman in a rom-com. And like, she was like, up until now, like, I mean, she's in her thirties now, but up until then she hadn't really seen just like, a rom-com made for general audiences right. that starred a woman of color as the lead and not making it be about her being a woman of color, mm -hmm. just a woman of color in that role. Right. And like being able to see yourself reflected on screen is much more powerful than I think that we realized it was, especially when you are, when you are a per like, you know, a person that does see themselves reflected on screen all the time. Like you don't even think about yep. the, what the, what's missing. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really powerful. Um, I'm glad we had this conversation because when I was talking to my daughter last night, we came to that same conclusion, but it's wonderful to hear it repeated so that I can yeah. say to her, you know what? Yeah, this is, this is the right decision. This is a good thing to do um, and kind of hold your guns. And it sounds like that's what you want to do with your writing is really respect that and find ways to create things that show that that how incredibly diverse we are and how incredibly wonderful that is. Right. And the world that we see on screen should reflect the world that we walk around in. Even from just the extras in the background, that should be a diverse crowd that we're seeing. There should be people with disabilities. There should be people, you know, all different sorts of people of color and gender identities because that's what the world actually looks like. And so we need to reinforce that on screen and really make an effort and not just on screen behind the scenes as well. Like we need to have more female directors. We need to have more directors of color because their, their perspective is really important. And we yeah. haven't seen that up until now. You know, like we see a lot of movies with female centric characters, but we're seeing it through the male lens because it was written by a man and it was directed by a man. And then what happens when you put a woman in that role? You see a totally different version of those stories. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Um, do you find that I mean, do you, have you found that there's any pushback to that? Do you think there's a wave to encourage that? Do you think there's still barriers? What do you, what do you feel kind of being out there in the midst of it? I mean, there's, there's definitely still barriers and there's still a lot to go. I'm, I'm hopeful that my generation and the ones like just above me and below me are making so many, as they start to rise to those executive positions and those positions of power that we are going to see real change. I mean, if you look, I mean, you just look at things like the Me Too movement and how much that really has affected and people having those voices to stand out and that social media has been actually a really, you know, social media is a double-edged sword, but it does have that opportunity to give voice to people that might not normally have it and share those types of stories. Absolutely. 
I, the reason I, part of the reason I asked is that when I've um, talked with people about doing commercials, my, you know, my company's called Inclusivity. I've always pictured the commercials having the biggest diverse swath of people that you could imagine. And I have gotten some pushback, people saying, well, no, you can really only have one representation. Yeah. Like you can't have a disabled, a person who has disabilities who is also a person of color. Like that's just too much for people. And my response was, well, no, <laughs> that, that, no it's that's, not. that's ridiculous. And if I lose customers because of that, then, then I lose customers because of that. Right. I, it's, it's not, that's not the important part, but it was, it's an interesting thing that I've even heard that from people that, that I know support the idea of this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but just said, of course you should have diversity, but don't go too far. And I don't right. and we can go too far. I, you can't go too far, yeah. no, and they're uncomfortable situations. And right now, diversity and is more of like a, like a good stamp of approval than it is yeah. something that some people care about. You know, especially when we look at those really high positions, they are yeah, they're trying to be more diverse, but not because they're trying to diversify. It's because they're trying to yeah, like hit that quota. Um, one of my very close friends and mentors, are Mason Dyad, she's she's a, a Muslim woman. She has cerebral palsy. So she talks about how she's like the trifecta of, you know, minorities, right? She's got yeah. a disability. She's a woman of color and she's Muslim. So like, she's like, you know, and that, cause she wants to perform on camera and that's, you know, that causes issues sometimes. And she stands her ground too. Like, especially when working on a show that she's trying to build, like her, her, the people working behind the camera, she's like, you know, the amount of people that in this world have disabilities that should be reflected on my crew as well. Because those, and it's often very hard for people with disabilities to get into those roles, especially when the funnel in, right, is those assistant roles and those production assistant roles that can be like right. really physically trying or really mentally trying that we've got to pave way and make room for that. And there's so much of like, well, if you can't cut it, you can't, like, we've, we've got to do away with that whole yeah. idea. The yeah. pay your dues thing is, you know, you learn it, that's good, that's great. But we also can't take advantage of these people and not allow people right. opportunities. We need to have other paths. So I did not say this to you when we started CARE, but we're really trying to keep these to about half an hour and we're there. So okay. what, I'm, what I'm doing with people is after half an hour, we're saying this is the end of, of episode one and we're turning off this off and we'll restart and do episode two to get to talk about the rest of the things. Is that okay with you? Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. So everybody, this is Lori. This is part one of our interview with Kara. Can you remind me of your last name, Kara? Yeah, it's uh, Ward Tobin. All right. So Kara Ward Tobin will be back for episode two, um, actually right away, but <laughs> it'll be a minute. You'll have to turn it back on. We'll, we'll be right back. If she's a mountain